was that I grew up in Portola Valley, down in the peninsula, in a very mission-driven household. In first grade, and possibly even earlier, I, as well as my three sisters, we could tell you what our mission was. If you ask me, why was I here on this planet, and what was I going to do with my life, the answer, it was a one-liner. I was going to make the world a better place. Now, this was a message that my parents hammered into all four of our heads. Two loud Texas Jews raising four kids in the early days of Silicon Valley. Our job was to make the world a better place. It was simple. At least we thought it was. It didn't matter how we did it or what path we chose. Our job was to figure it out. But the mission was clear. Now, as a first grader, I knew I wanted to make large social change. I was not sure what that meant. But I can tell you, with the eyes of a first grader, I figured that meant that I needed to be like Martin Luther King. I was going to end racism and hate. But early on, I realized I had an issue because MLK had already lived, and I thought that he'd already solved that problem. Apparently, there was no racism in Bertola Valley in the 1980s. And I was upset at him because he took my job. Now I needed to figure out what I was going to do to make this large social change. So as I grew up, this question, it colored everything that I did and the questions that I asked. And as I tried to figure out what I was going to do with my life, it seemed to me that the most powerful change agent was the president. So that became my goal. The first balding Jewish president of the United States. Because that was the person who could cause the most social change. In college, I thought that if I was going to become the president, I needed to figure out if I really liked politics and if it really was the place to make this large social change. I joined as many committees as I could, get on to see if this was the right fit. And this is really what I wanted to do. My sophomore year, Vice President Al Gore, he came to campus and he met with one of the groups that I was on. And I was disillusioned. It seemed to me that at that point, there was a lot of talk, but there was not a lot of action. And as I studied and as I observed different government bodies at work, I began to notice a common pattern. The more removed the government was from an individual's lives, the less effective they seemed to be. I noticed that when I lived in Israel, that the prime minister seemed to be more influential on people's lives than our president did. The president didn't have much effect on my daily life unless I joined the military or until recently I didn't have health care. But outside of that, I didn't see the effect. But the mayor, if she didn't clear the storm drains, a city would flood. And a teacher, I could name all of my teachers from kindergarten through 12th grade, but I don't remember who the mayor was. And then it hit me. The most effective and powerful change agent was the parent. If we think in our lives, who has had the biggest and the deepest influence on shaping who we are, it's our families and it's our parents. As societies have grown from villages to cities, to counties, to states, to nations. We're trained to think that whoever is the leader of that category, of those different classifications, they must be the greatest change agent. But they're not. 
actually never have been. And we all know this in our Kishkes. We may remember when we were where we were when Kennedy was shot, or when the Challenger blew up, or when the Twin Towers fell. But what frames each one of those memories are the conversations that we had, the hugs that we gave, the ears that we often offered to listen with. And it turns out that the most powerful agents of change have always been the family and our smaller inner circles. And the rabbis, they knew this. When the temple was destroyed in the year 70, it was cataclysmic. We thought that temple is what defined us. That was the most important thing in all of our lives. But it wasn't. It was actually just a building. What defined us was our values and our ethics and our morals. And if we could form a system where we were decentralized and maintained a central moral order, we could survive. We could survive anything in the diaspora with no internet connecting us. Now the rabbis, they knew that the most powerful disseminators of our values was never the high priest, but rather it was our teachers and our families and our communities. So the rabbis, they turned the entire system on its head and said, your home is your temple. And your kitchen, where you connect with each other, that's the altar. It's why some families on Friday night, they pour salt on the table before they eat the challah to represent that this table right here is the altar. This is where the most sacred part of our lives takes place. It's not in the public square. It's not on TV. It's not even on Twitter. But it's around that table. That family is part of a community. And that's where the term synagogue comes from. It's a gathering place of people. Our power and our influence has always been right here. A collection of our families coming together to push our values into the world. We took these values on the road and we adapted them. And then we led with them in each generation. In times of darkness, we leaned into them to find light. Here's what this Emmanuel family has done in the past 160 years. In the 1800s, there had never been a woman cantor in the history of the world. But Emmanuel stood up, and at this pulpit, the first clergy woman arose, leading to a wave of women's spiritual leaders that swept the world. In the 1930s, when Hitler was rising in Germany, Rabbi Irving Reichert went to Nazi Germany in 1937 to assess the situation on the ground. And after that, Emmanuel did so much for refugees that we became a model for synagogues throughout the nation. In 1985, in the midst of the AIDS epidemic, the words of our prophets, they led us to embrace the AIDS epidemic and demonstrated that instead of treating AIDS patients like pariahs, they are embraced with caring and kindness, and then the entire nation followed this synagogue suit. Two years ago, the words of Exodus guided our community during the greatest refugee crisis in the history of the world that led our community to foster refugee children, to send thousands of pounds of clothes from our closets to the shores of Greece. We became a national leader in the refugee movement. When our nation was arguing past each other over race issues, we dove deeper into the face-to-face -face real conversations in our Jewish African-American unity group. 
With the elections further revealing the discrepancy between the haves versus the have-nots, we came together as a community and we saw the have-nots that one in 25 children in our city are homeless. And collectively, we responded to the words and the values set out by Isaiah. And this year, we've already sponsored 120 of the 800 families we're trying to take off the streets. And 20 of the $30 million has so far been raised. And last week, on Shabbat, SFO International Arrivals Tournament, it felt like an Emmanuel Oneg. There were so many con congregants protesting to let our Muslim brothers and sisters into this country. And all of that happened right here. Our power has always been how we engage with our values locally. That is what it means to be a light to the nations. We shine our light upon our community, and then that light, it trickles up and it trickles out. Now, why do I talk about this today? Because the questions that I keep getting that are filling my inbox and my voicemail and every conversation I seem to have is what do we do when our values, the deepest core Jewish values that we have, are under threat? like welcoming the stranger. Because this is about values. And I want to be clear about this. If there's one thing that you remember tonight, this is about values. It's not about a specific politician. And if that's what you're making it about, you're missing the point. The cornerstone of our religion and our country has always been about values. We get our power and our influence by propagating and sticking up for our values. But where and how do we do this? You act in this arena that has always been the most powerful, and that's local. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't call DC and demand that our American values of welcoming the stranger not be upheld. But that's the short game. In the short game, it's important. But we need to remember that millions of people in this country stood up for the stranger after 16 years of a war on terror and the rise of ISIS. Why? Because parents and teachers across our nation for decades now have instilled us with the values and the words of Emma Lazarus that are written below the Statue of Liberty and it rang in our hearts. When the Holocaust is mentioned but the Jews that died are forgotten or intentionally left out, people react because of what they were taught and what we will continue to teach. So when people ask you, what do I do? Tell them to make their phone calls and to write their letters to representatives, but then also remind them to use their influence where they are the most powerful, not just an unknown voice calling DC, but a known voice inside your inner circle. Sit down with your kids, with your friends, with your colleagues, and tell them what your values are, and tell them why. Explain where your values came from and who taught you them. I was taught to end hate, to idealize MLK, because my grandparents escaped Hitler in Austria. And my parents grew up in the segregated South and were discriminated against because they were Jews. And today, I teach my kids about how the Syrians are trying to get here 
just like their great-grandparents did when they were escaping another foreign place they'd never heard of called Austria. If you want to make large social change, change what's around you. Be guided by our collective values. We, the Emanuel family, we have a history of doing so, and we are going to continue to do so. And if we all share our values and act on them, society will have changed. Because our society is made up of the many of us for one shared American value. E plus enum. Out of many, we're one. Shabbat Shalom.